All right, let's do this. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the very first episode of The Hustle Daily Show. So almost 2 million of you read The Hustle's daily tech and business newsletter. And over the past five years, we've gotten just a ridiculous number of requests to do a podcast. Well, you know what? We finally did the damn thing. Welcome to The Hustle Daily Show. I'm your host, Zachary Crockett. Some of you may know me as the guy who writes The Hustle Sunday email. And I'm here with my co-pilot, our daily writer, Rob Litterst. What's up, Rob? What's going on, Zach? So every day in this new podcast, we're going to give you a breakdown of the biggest tech and business news in 10 minutes or less. On Wednesdays and Fridays, we're also going to bring on all kinds of interesting guests for some deeper analysis. But today, today is our launch day. So we've got a very, very special guest with us. You probably know him from the hit podcast, My First Million. He also happens to be the founding father of The Hustle, Mr. Sam Parr. What's going on? Not that special of a guest. A guest. You, you could have just said guest. Well, you need some kind of intro. I mean, That's it's right. either it's either peanut butter guy, fitness influencer, founder of the hustle, my first million guy, whatever you want to be. <laughs> Let's go a fan of peanut butter. <laughs> All right. Well, today we've got a little bit of special episode for you. What we're going to do is we're going to kick things off with a review of 2021's biggest stories. And let me tell you, it was a very wild ride. We're going to be talking pixelated apes, meme stock millionaires, and some pretty ugly kinks in the global supply chain. We've also got some spicy 2022 predictions for you, including why Sam thinks the Winklevoss twins might become the richest people in the world this year. But before we get into all that good stuff, I'm going to kick it off to Rob for a quick breakdown of today's biggest headlines. Rob, take it away. Thanks, Zach. And to all you wonderful listeners, every day we're going to be breaking down the most interesting news in tech and business in 10 minutes or less so you can get caught up on what's going on and get back to your day. Let's get into it. You may know McCormick's for the red caps that line your spice rack, or if you're like me, that bounce around in a random drawer in your kitchen and are pretty hard to find anytime you actually need a specific spice. But according to Bloomberg, America's favorite spice maker is expanding its empire into hot sauce. McCormick's has been around since 1889, and acquisitions have always played a really big role in the company's expansion strategy. But in 2015, leadership decided to really push the pedal into a new market, kicking off a saucy acquisition spree. They shelled out a combined $5 billion for Frank's Red Hot, French's Mustard, and Cholula. You may be wondering, why hot sauce? And here's what's going on. McCormick's thinks hot sauce could be the catch-up of the next generation. And more importantly, it could be the key to snatching the condiment crown from the Kraft Heinz company. McCormick lists a number of reasons for its prediction, the first of which is that Mexican cuisine and international flavors more generally have been on the rise for years. Secondly, hot sauce is kind of having a moment in the U.S. It's almost like the craft beer scene here where there are all different types of peppers, different types of hot sauce. There are hot sauce subscription boxes, YouTube shows like the hot ones that are really kind of making hot sauce a bigger part of the culture. But there's also one really big reason, and it's that McCormick's has this massive wholesaler network that makes it really, really easy for them to push hot sauce into orders for a long list of restaurants and retailers. Case in point, they already got Frank's and Cholula on the menu at Subway and Chopped, which is a fast casual salad chain, kind of like sweet green. But Kraft Heinz is not going to go down without a fight, and they have a pretty crazy strategy on how they're competing here. They recently released a line of products called mashups that are basically mixes of classic flavors. 
Their blends include Buffer Ranch, which intuitively is buffalo sauce and ranch dressing mixed together, which actually sounds delicious. There's Honey Racha, which is honey and sriracha, and Sweet Ketchili, which is a mixture of ketchup and sweet chili sauce. I'm not really sure about those names, but I definitely admire the creativity there. So what does it all mean? Like most things, Gen Z wants something new. And on the food front, that means more spice. While ketchup is still king and its market cap is still about $2 billion larger than hot sauce, McCormick's is making a big bet that taste will continue to evolve going forward. Okay, if you're anything like me, you've definitely done this before where you subscribe to a streaming platform literally just for one show and then you ditch it as soon as you're finished. If you've done this, we are not alone. It's apparently a really big problem for streaming services. And according to some new data from the Wall Street Journal, it's actually pretty scary for streamers. It's probably their biggest challenge. The report looked at data from really big releases across a number of the really big streamers. So it looked at Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, Wonder Woman 1984 on HBO Max, Greyhound, which is a World War II drama that hit Apple TV, and the 2020 Summer Olympics on Peacock. Within six months of those releases, 50% of the new subscribers had already left. Which begs the question, what can streamers actually do to keep subscribers? And there are a few strategies that have really worked here, and they're not super surprising. I think it's kind of basic at this point, but first of all, you can regularly churn out new and popular shows and films, which is kind of a no-brainer. It's easier said than done. I think if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it. Next, you can own a big collection of older content, which, you know, it's like the Seinfelds, Friends, The Office titles of the world that are always getting a ton of viewers. They're the type of things that people might throw on in the background while they're cooking dinner, or winding down from work or whatever. Or you can drop episodic series that can't be binged in a single weekend, which is actually kind of like the original cable TV appointment viewing playbook. But these tactics aren't cheap. So Netflix dropped $17 billion on content in 2021. HBO Max plans to drop $18 billion in 2022, and Universal paid $500 million for The Office alone. The takeaway here, there's a reason it's called The Streaming Wars. The stakes are high, it's extremely competitive, and it shouldn't really come as a surprise that there's no such thing as a quick and easy tactic that's going to hook subscribers for the long term. It's becoming clear that for streaming services to really be successful over the long term, they'll have to balance high-quality releases with a library of quality old titles, and they're going to have to spend a lot of money. Lots and lots of money. So what else is going on out there? If you caught this last week, Ryan Breslow caused an absolute fury on Twitter when he compared Stripe and Y Combinator to the mafia. Ryan was the CEO of Bolt. He recently stepped down. Bolt is a one-click checkout startup that goes up against Stripe. Part of his argument was really how hard it's been for him to grow his company over the last seven years, where he really felt like Stripe was kind of creating these roadblocks for him and making it much harder. He claims the choice to step down was his, and his plan is to move into an executive chairman role going forward. Next up, flying cars may actually be coming to San Francisco. Joby Aviation is an air taxi developer that's looking to conduct test flights of its newest prototype, the S4, in San Francisco Bay. The test would give the public its first look at the technology, and it might finally put an end to the we asked for flying cars meme that has just been populating Twitter for, I feel like, a decade at this point. Lastly, there's a new number one song on the Billboard Hot 100, We Don't Talk About Bruno, from the Encanto soundtrack. 
If you haven't heard of Encanto, it's a new Disney animated film. The song was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, who you might know from Hamilton fame, and it's his first time hitting the top spot. It's only the second time, this actually really surprised me, it's only the second time that a song from a Disney animated feature reached number one. The last time was in 1993 when Aladdin's A Whole New World reached the top spot. And with that, I'm going to kick it back to Zach. That's all we got for today. Thanks, Rob. Okay, so let's get into our 2021 recap here. And what we're going to do is take a look back at the five biggest storylines in tech and business from the past year. And I want to start with one of the weirdest things I think we've ever seen in the market, just the absolute explosion of meme stocks. It went a little something like this. Wall Street hedge funds were planning to short or bet against all these really crappy stocks like AMC, Bed Bath & Beyond, Nokia, and of course, GameStop. So this army of amateur traders on Reddit basically decided to stick it to the man. They banded together and they pumped up all these stocks by as much as 1,500%. A few of these guys became millionaires and they nearly toppled a few hedge funds in the process. Now, a lot of analysts cited this as a shift towards a more democratic retail investing environment. Things have obviously cooled off a lot since then, but Sam, I want to bring you in here. I'm really curious to hear your retrospective on all of this. All right. I think it's a total joke. So I think there's a lot of pros and cons here, but in general, it's a joke. The pros and cool things. Number one, Rory, how do you say it? Rory Kitty? Roaring Kitty, I think. Keith Gill. Yeah, that's the ringleader, right? Yeah, so basically, he was a runner. I believe he was a sub four miler or pretty close to that. What? Roaring Kitty? Yeah. Wow, I had no idea. Or maybe five, I forget, but he was a really good distance runner. He basically went on Reddit and started blogging on Reddit about some of his picks. His picks turned out to be great because it was GameStop and it took off. I love that it's like, you know, it's like, arm. what's the phrase? Arming the rebels, you know? So like, right, right. The little guy is getting a win. All on board for that. I love that. But in general, I think these people are freaking idiots and they should not be doing this. <laughs> and it's just gambling with him. Yeah, that's cool. He did some analysis. Wonderful. And he was well-spoken. He called it. He's totally right. But in general, I think that most people should just do index investing. And when I go to the barber and I hear my barber talking about Dogecoin and I was friend, friend (laughs) of a friend of a friend, told him to do X, Y, and Z, I get very scared. And I think that in days like today, with the markets hitting, I mean, we're off to the worst start ever in the history. Brutal out there. Yeah. It's the worst quarter so far ever. I think that now we are feeling that pain. And so I think in general, General, this is incredibly dangerous. Right. I hate this. And I try not to tell people what they do with their money, but I tell them I would never in a million years do any of this nonsense. This is silly. You might as well play blackjack at the casino because that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. I started getting texts from friends that were like, hey, look at this like potential meme stock. They literally were looking at these like random like OTC market stocks that they were like, hey, just like has the narrative like this could totally pop and like be the one and had buddies like hitting me up with like, hey, this is like a holding company that's going to spack Reddit and it's going to be a meme stock. And it's like the craziest speculative fury I've like ever seen in my life. Yeah. Other than crypto. <laughs> yeah. And, and we should say for context, like Sam, you are a very conservative investor, right? And I get criticized for being too conservative. And I actually think that could be true. I should probably loosen up a little bit. Time to buy some AMC, man. Not quite. (laughs) So basically, the vast majority of everything I ever have right now is in basically Vanguard Total Index Fund, HubSpot stock, and Airbnb stock. Because my wife works at Airbnb, so she was granted Airbnb. And when we sold, just like everyone here, I was granted HubSpot stock. Besides that, I don't own pretty much any individual.
individual stock, maybe other than a couple shares, a little bit of Square, because I believe in their mission, a little bit of Coinbase, because I believe in their mission. And I think that's it. Mm. I, I think like the big question I have about this whole meme stock revolution that's still unclear to me is like, how much of this all is like an illusion? Do these retail investors and Redditors really have true power in the market to like change the dynamic of stocks? Or are they just going to be used as like pawns by hedge funds as soon as this game is kind of figured out? Well, did you see what happened with Zillow? So Zillow, I didn't research a ton. I bet Zach you have. But if I remember correctly, before this whole Zillow thing happened of them like getting called out for buying homes, I saw a guy on TikTok say like, here's what Zillow is doing. And I think it's bullshit basically the summary of the video. And this was like three weeks before people started criticizing Zillow. And that video had like millions of likes. And I have a feeling, I don't I don't know for a fact, but someone can prove this, that that was the beginning of, of the end for this. And so, yes, retail folks have power. Hmm. It is funny though, because I feel like it was, it went from GameStop to AMC. And I mean, those two were kind of like alternating for a while. And then you mentioned Zillow, Sam, but like, I didn't really hear of like any other huge cases where there were like these massive mooning meme stocks after that. Nokia. Nokia did? Okay. <laughs> Which is crazy. Yeah. But there was a few. But I guess like a tangential meme stock is like Tesla. A lot of people don't really right. consider it a true meme stock, but you know, obviously there, there's like a lot of hype around the company and Elon Musk seems to be a master of capitalizing on that hype. Oh, 100%. I don't own any Tesla and I don't intend to buy any. I think that he's too reckless for me. <laughs> I think that like... If you he like tweets out jokes like four twenty sixty nine and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Like I get it. It's like the world's richest guy is like potty mouth. Like that's cute, but that's not <laughs> that funny. A, it's right. not that funny of it's not that funny of a joke. And B, I think it's reckless when you have people's pensions right. fund in your stock and to say stuff like that just so you can get a very tiny cute laugh. <laughs> right. And so if it were actually funny, then I'm like, okay, I get it. Or if it's like. Oh, someone's criticizing that, like, we have to do it this way. Our values stand for this. We have to take a stand. I'm okay with that. But you just tweet this 42069, man. <laughs> like, that's, give me a break. <laughs> Hey, everybody. I got a great podcast to tell you about. It's called Truth, Lies, and Work. And it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this show, you can join husband and wife team Alan, Leanne, Elliot as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. They actually just did an episode with John Smith, who is the manager and agent of famous Argentinian soccer player Diego Maradona. He talks about in this episode how he was able to manage the global superstar athlete celebrity that Maradona is and was. It's a great listen. You better get out there and check it out. And you can listen to Truth, Lies, and Work wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Well, let's pivot to something a little more serious here. I think it's undisputable that one of the biggest stories we saw in 2021 was this global supply chain crisis we had. I mean, we saw it affecting everything from computers to microchips, cars, electronics, lumber, furniture. Sam, I know it, it took you like six months to get a freaking couch, didn't it? Like, How oh do you know goodness. that, Zach? <laughs> oh, we're old friends. So, <laughs> And just for, just for the listeners out there, this guy spent like four months on a beanbag chair in his living room when he moved into his new house in Austin because he couldn't find a freaking couch. Yes. So basically, this was on the what was, what's that section in the Wall Street Journal called? Brad said it's like a cool section that people like writing for. I, f I forget. But anyway, I Instagrammed how when I bought my house, we just like we couldn't buy furniture. So my wife and I just lived on beanbags for like many months. Someone at the Wall Street Journal saw it, DM'd <laughs> me and asked to write an article on it. And what I didn't say, but I should say, which is like, I don't ever play video games. I've played video games like 10 <laughs> times in my life. 
but all the pictures that we had were from the same day and mm-hmm. I happened to be playing a video game or me playing a video game. And so I looked like a huge computer nerd <laughs> in, in that in that spread. And people were making fun of me in the comments. <laughs> You're a gamer now, Sam, whether you like it or not. <laughs> well, I mean, that picture captured two supply chain issues. Video game industry is suffering from a microchip shortage too. There was this huge swell in consumer goods at the beginning of the pandemic. And then there were all these factory shutdowns and labor shortages and basically this perfect storm of things that led to this huge backlog of shipping containers at ports that affect just like hundreds or if not thousands of different industries. So my wife and I, we had a baby last May and neither of the cars we had, we both had like sedans. So we wanted to get bigger cars where we felt safe with a car seat. Like a RAV? Yeah, yeah. So we got a RAV4 first and and we only had that for a little bit. And then we realized that, you know, there are going to be times when one of us needs a car and like the other one can't just be stuck at home without a car with a baby. And Sam, I took inspiration from you and your uh, penchant for hatchbacks. And uh, we went with a Subaru Impreza hatchback because it's kind of like a, it's, it's bigger than a sedan, but it's not quite an SUV. But the first dealership that we went to, the listing price that they had online was like very, very competitive. So we drove like down Rhode Island. We live in Massachusetts. So it was kind of a trek for us. We drove like an hour and we get there and the guys were like, well, actually the price that you guys saw online isn't the real Mm -hmm. price. It's going to be six grand more expensive because it's this like supply chain adjustment. they, They didn't even publish it online. It was just like all of their cars, they were bumping up by like six grand because of basically market factors. It was it was insane. I still don't know if it's like legal. I asked the guy at the dealership where we ended up actually buying a car. Mm. And he said, yeah, I mean, they still need to publish the, the price that it's selling for online. That's a perfect example of this crisis we're in. I, I think the average car has like 3000 computer chips in it. It's crazy. So the question is, you know, where are all these chips going to go when we have so many different industries demanding them and and not enough chips to go around. Um, you get a $6,000 markup on your Subaru. I Well, I, <laughs> I, I went to the dealer to drop my car off because it needed new tires. And there was a car and it said MSRP 150000 MSRP is a, what's it stand for? Something suggested retail price. Mm-hmm. Manufacturers. Yeah. yeah, manufacturers suggested re- retail price. And it said 150000 And then above it, it had for sale for 270000 <laughs> Gosh. Oh my God. It was a Mercedes G-Wagon. You know, like the, I call, I call it like a- Yeah, yeah. Like a Pope mobile. It's like the square SUV. It was so expensive. That's insane. That's what the Pope used to drive. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Or I think he, something like that. And they offered to buy my car from me for significantly more than I paid for mm. it. And part of you is like, oh, yeah, that sounds sick. But then obviously you got to go buy another car and you're just going to lose money on it. But yeah, man, it's crazy. Furniture. When I tried to buy a, a couch, they were like, all right, it's going to be there in eight months. I'm like, dude, I don't even know if I want a couch in eight months. Sure. <laughs> so it, yeah, it was pretty wild. Is it still bad? It's still bad out there. Analysts say it's getting a little better, but now we have, you know, the whole great resignation on top of all this. We have an ongoing shortage of truck drivers. My personal favorite, Zach, was when the New York Times wrote up that there's a crisis of uh, cream cheese. And so all of these bagel eaters in New York were driving out to New Jersey because they couldn't find any (laughs) cream cheese in, in New York City. It was amazing. Right. So what's the cause? So... Right at the start of the pandemic, I know a lot of manufacturers anticipated a decline in demand because of economic hardships. And on top of that, there were shutdowns that closed down a lot of their factories. So they ramped down production. But then the economy picked back up a lot faster than a lot of manufacturers anticipated. So there's this enormous swell of demand that outpaced supply and all these manufacturers just playing catch up for months on end. But then you throw in other factors like labor shortages and 
people getting sick from COVID, workers quitting their jobs. It's kind of just a perfect storm of dozens of different factors. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I hope it gets done soon. It's, it's kind of flipping me out. Yeah. And the shortage of truck drivers, I didn't write that in my predictions, but I've been saying for a couple of years now, I think that that was going to be a thing. And it like is slowly becoming the reality. Did you read the post by a trucker on Medium that's like why that explains why it's all so messed up? What was it? Just they, they don't make any money? Like, yeah, the truckers don't make any money. There's like super fixed amounts of trucks that can go into each port. You nailed it, though. Like it's the truckers don't make any money. The ports aren't incentivized to make it speed up and the warehouses aren't incentivized to make it speed up. So basically, like there's absolutely no solution at this point. This guy, I'll, I'll send you the article is from a guy who's been a trucker for like 20 years. He's a teamster. So he's unionized. He, he actually gets paid well. He's like, you know, I do. I do well and have been doing this for a long time. It's one of the biggest issues. If you I, I don't remember where I saw this, so I can't I can't say if it's true because I don't remember the source, but I, I thought like the average age was like 63 mm. of a truck driver. Wow. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, oh, like who cares about truck drivers? Or they don't really understand why it's such a big deal. But basically, if you buy anything ever, it likely arrived on a truck. Yeah, right. My parents are in the trucking industry. And so like I've seen this firsthand, like truckers are pretty rough and definitely like stereotyped as rednecky and all that. But like, they're the backbone of America. So like if, if your truck is so don't and, and everyone's like, oh, what about self-driving? I'm like, dude, it, that ain't happening for a long time. And you got to get your stuff tomorrow. And also, even if it does happen soon, someone's still going to be sitting in that truck. Sure. Totally unrelated. But Amazon going into logistics and like building out their own network. That's I feel like it's like the smartest move for them ever. And like they're just going to be reaping the benefits of that for so long. I mean, unless they get hit with this really bad. Which season, caused but. a shortage for camper vans. So <laughs> seriously. People, yeah, because people there's three models that camper vans because I thought about doing it are are interested in. They like the Ford Transit. Uh huh. There's a Dodge Sprinter and then there's a Mercedes Sprinter. And Amazon has been buying all mm-hmm. of them, no. so you can't even buy one right now. Yeah. Oh my god! All the hipsters trying to go on those van life road trips, man. They're getting crushed by Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> that was me, man. I, I I looked at them and they're very expensive. And, and people were saying because Amazon's buying all of them. Well, speaking of big tech, another big headline in 2021 was obviously, I feel like every other day in, the, in our daily email, we were writing about Facebook, whether it was the rebrand to Meta or the Facebook papers, you know, earlier this year, a whistleblower released all these documents proving that Facebook had data on its negative impact. Facebook's really taking a hit this year. I'm not convinced that Zuck is like evil. Like, I don't think his intentions are bad. But what I am convinced of is I don't want anything to do with that company. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Like, to me, he's more of a hate the game, not the player. And the game that he's in is world domination (laughs) and doing it through like dopamine hits and notifications. And I hate that. And so I'm no longer on board. I, I, I lied and I said I didn't own a couple individual stocks. I used to own Facebook. I've sold all of it. I'm out. Oh, wow. I'm not on board with Facebook. Dude, anymore. when I first met you, I think you had told me like 100% of your net worth was in Facebook stock. <laughs> and it worked because the hustle, we were spending money on Facebook. Yeah. I don't remember how much we were spending, but like many millions of dollars a year. And at, the, at one point, we did a call with our account manager. And basically, the gist of it was like Facebook, we want to give you more money. How can we do that? How do we give the money to you faster so you give us more? <laughs> like I was like begging them. I'm like, well, can we? What can we do to get more? Because like we're putting a dollar. Take my money. Yeah, we're giving you a dollar, 
and we're getting out like $5. I love that. It's like, I just built this machine Mm -hmm. that turns $1 into $5. Go get the dump truck, (laughs) bring it back and dump it in that machine. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. And so I was like, well, I'm going to put all all of our stocks in there because like small businesses are thriving on this. Now, A, the prices are up and B, a lot of people, myself included, particularly like the Gen Zers are like, F this, man. I don't want to be addicted to this crap. And they're out. And so I'm on board with that. Totally. Obviously, Facebook is aware of these PR nightmares, and we saw this monumental announcement at the end of the year that they're rebranding as Meta, which kind of leads us into our next big story of 2021, just the general explosion of the metaverse, and I guess tangentially just NFTs and Web3 and this whole new vision for digital assets and digital spaces. Where do you fall on this one, Zach? I'm going to turn that on Rob because he... Oh my God. (laughs) You've been in the trenches on this one in the daily, Rob. I have. So I've I've dabbled a little bit in crypto, dabbled a little bit in NFTs. I've, I've like flipped a couple NFTs and made a little bit of money on it. But it's the type of thing where like... I don't look at Discord like I'm really kind of against like any app where it's going to be hitting me with notifications. And like all my buddies are like, trying to get me to join these Discord groups and stuff like that. And I'm just like, no, like I don't want to get pinged by a new app like every two seconds about some like multi-level marketing scheme disguised as some NFT mm-hmm. cult or something like that. I, I just don't need it. I don't know. I think the technology of it is probably going to become something important. But right now, I think there's just a lack of utility in general. I'm totally on board with NFTs. So like I get the idea. Mm -hmm. So when people make fun of it, I'm like, well, I mean, like someone's buying a $100,000 Rolex or a $20 million Mona Lisa or whatever it is. So like at the end of the day, like someone just likes the story behind this Rolex. Paul Newman had a Rolex that I think sold for like $20 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all of Steve McQueen, if Steve McQueen owned a car, that car is now marked up like 10x. So like a Porsche that normally would be three or four hundred thousand dollars is telling for four million. Hmm. Like, so I get it. And that's the same thing with NFTs, which is like, oh, my favorite artist made this. He did the special announcement. I happen to be the one who won. I have a lot of money or this is just my passion. Totally on board with that. I don't think that an ape is going to be that thing. Mm -hmm. But I'm on board (laughs) with a lot of things. It just so happens, though, that none of the NFTs that I've seen have sing to me, you know, or they like grab my attention. So I'm not on board with them with any that I've seen. But I get it. For example, I have one of those digital frames. Do you guys know Van Gogh's The Mailman? Is that what it's called? The Dutch Mailman? It's like this portrait of like the the postman or something that Van Gogh did. Sure. And I just stare at it all the time. (laughs) And I'm like, this makes, <laughs> brings me joy. Of course, I'm not rich enough or nor does it bring me joy enough to like go and buy it for $50 million. Right. But I get it. I, I get it. So h- hang on a sec. Do you own that NFT or do you just like display it in your frame? No, it's just like a it's just like a really famous thing on like this really cool. <laughs> right, right, no, right, you right. can. Okay. No, no. So it's just like a Rolex. You can throw anything in there. It's a digital rendering of the exact painting. It's not an NFT. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's nothing special. But like I have seen some of Beeple stuff and I'm like, yeah. Okay, like maybe that's not my genre, but like it is pretty sick. And like if this guy is like mm-hmm. your favorite and I, I get it. And you also have to remember that like if you're incredibly wealthy and you spend a million dollars on something, that's kind of like, you know, like Zach, if you saw your favorite artist for like a thousand dollars and you could hang it in your house, would you do that? Like definitely maybe. Yeah. And so that's kind of like the same thing. So I, I'm on board with it. But metaverse. No, I'm not on board with that. Someone tweeted. They're like the metaverse. That sounds neat. But you know, what's really cool. 
sex. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That with NFTs, like where it loses me is it's like, you know, that's going to be the new model for music. Like it sounds like you can use NFTs as like a funding mechanism. But I think that also bleeds into tokens and some other stuff in crypto that I don't really get. But I'm with you on the metaverse, Sam. They're planting the seeds for for what this metaverse could manifest to be. But right now it's just it, like, I think it's all just kind of a buzzword. Sure. There's no substance. Well, if Zuck has our way, we're all going to be f***ing on Oculuses. <laughs> hey, if he can make it feel as good, then maybe we'll talk. <laughs> all right, let's move along here. So this last one is is it's, it's a little more, kind of maybe more of a bigger picture thing. Let's, real quick, let's just throw out like one or two predictions each for what we think 2022 has in store here. Sam, you've got a hot take to start I, us off. I can go quick. All right, first one. Amazing comeback story. Not necessarily the heroes that we want, but the heroes we're going to get. The Winklevi, they're going to actually... Sean was doing the math on this. So Winklevi, the Winklevoss twins, the ones who uh, Zuck Mm -hmm. sued because they said they created Facebook. Turns out, whatever, maybe they didn't. They own this thing called Gemini, which is kind of like Coinbase, but different. And they also own 1% of Bitcoin, which means if Facebook kind of stays the same and Bitcoin hits $500,000... In the next handful of years, the Winklevoss twins are going to be richer than Zuckerberg. That's kind of interesting, right? Is that the greatest like revenge story ever? That might actually become a thing. Okay, but I didn't even realize Oculus was Facebook until I'm reading this right now. Dude, Oculus, I've had Oculus now for a couple years. Just like everyone else, I buy it all the time just to stay on top of it. And I use it and I'm like, oh, this is only okay. But I understand how it's pretty sick. This is awesome. This yeah. last Christmas, Oculus outsold the Xbox and sold almost as much as the PlayStation. Oculus sold 10 million units over Christmas. PlayStation <laughs> did 14 million. Everyone's been talking about VR for years and years and years and years. And to the point where it's like, I don't even know what VR means anymore. Man, VR is actually sick. I've been playing the games. They're getting way better. Have you? Yeah. Yeah, man, that's fun. It's like I play this one game and I like I feel them in war. Like I got to like take it off sometimes. <laughs> I get freaked out. So I think Oculus could really crush it this year and it's finally going to happen. Those are my predictions. Wow, it's finally going to happen. I think it's finally going to happen. And you know what else? Another thing I'm bullish on. I've been bullish on this for now for two years and it still hasn't come true. But I think we'll see if I, you know, even a, what do they say? Like a broken clock is right twice. San Francisco, <laughs> got to make a comeback. I'm ready for it to make a comeback. And I think it will. What do you mean a comeback? Dude, everyone hates on San Francisco right now. <laughs> they they say like it's and they're right. Like it's like gone downhill. There's a, there's a lot of homeless yeah, yeah. issues. Like there's things have got to change. I think that San Francisco in terms San Francisco has so many intangibles as well as other tangible things like geography, things like that that make it just like amazing. But it's not incredibly easy to live there right now. And I think that right. over the next couple of years, it's going to become significantly easier. I live in Austin, Texas right now. Not that beautiful. Not mm-hmm. that fun super easy to be here. I think San Francisco right. is going to be way easier to live in in the next couple of years. Sure. That's super interesting. It's, it's ready for its kind of rebound narrative. I'm ready for I'm ready for it. Rob, what you got? Yeah, so I got one. And I think <laughs> this is I heard you saying like you've been harping on this and this is kind of the same thing for me. Like I've been saying for a while, I think social networks are going to change. There's going to be more finite social networks and more apps that are more related to like digital minimalism and kind of like not sucking everybody's attention out of like every minute of their day. One example of that is Wordle right now. So people are obsessed with Wordle. I think part of the part of the charm of it, obviously, the game is fun and it's really easy to do and uh, not always easy to get the word, but it's really easy to participate. 
but it's only one a day and it can't suck your attention for you know more than like 10 or 15 minutes or however long it takes you to get the word. There's a dating app called Thursday that only works on Thursdays, which I absolutely love. So you can't get sucked in there every single day. And I use Freedom. Like I use this app when I want to like buckle down and do some writing that just kind of like turns off like all the apps and all the websites that distract me for however amount of time I, I want to use it. And it works on desktop. It works on phone. And that's like becoming its own category. Like there are a bunch of different apps that are piling into that space that I think people are going to start using. I think Apple even does that like automatically. They have settings on the phone that like let you block apps and stuff like that. So I think this is going to be the year where people start to like really pump the brakes on social media and, and start to limit their engagement. Continuing the decline of a uh, Facebook trend. <laughs> but there, the what, what you said, Rob, is a thing that I want. And I think it's a thing right. you want. I don't know if it's going to happen. But right. I, it's a thing that I want as well. Trying to trying to manifest it into into reality. Yeah. We'll see if you're right. God bless. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I got a, something a little more dismal here. I am a skeptic and probably most of the time a pessimist for better or worse. But we've already seen this kind of happening a little bit in uh, 2020 and 2021. But I just food prices are going to keep going up, I think. And they're going to keep going up for a very specific reason, which is fertilizer costs are out of control. In some parts of America, fertilizer costs are up by 300%. Fertilizer makes up about 15% of the average farmer's budget to produce crops. I don't really see an end in sight for fertilizer costs going down. And I think that you're going to see maybe some minor price increases of like two to three, 4%, which might not sound like a lot, but tally up all your grocery trips at the end of the week. I remember at the beginning of 2021, my, my trip, my grocery trips used to be like I don't know, 120, 130 bucks. And now they're like 170 bucks for two people. Wow. So where do you shop? What store? What's your store? Well, I, I'm down at Vons now in San Diego. Vons. But you're not a Whole Foods guy? No. So I'm a Whole Foods guy. You're a Whole Foods guy. But Zach, yeah. Zach, I could have signed. Okay. One, you hate capitalism. It's <laughs> exaggeration. But, <laughs> but two, you're like into like healthy food and keeping your body right. So you're not like yeah. an organic. I'm willing to I'm willing to pay high price for all this yeah, stuff. But I'm also a cheap ass. So I have to I have to constantly balance my <laughs> no air one. I love Whole Foods. I mean, don't get me wrong, but uh, I also love being frugal and saving money. Yeah. This is probably the least anti-capitalist thing you can do, Zach, but there's a prime visa, an Amazon Prime visa that gives you five oh, percent back on all your Whole Foods. Oh, it's five? I swear hmm. to God, like my wife and I made like a thousand dollars in rewards points because we shopped at Whole Foods so much, like in the first wow. year. It's absolutely insane, man. Like I don't know if you want to support Bezos, but yeah, I actually canceled my Amazon Prime this year. Wow. Pulled the plug on that, but I canceled mine too. Not because I'm protesting. Did you really? Not, not because of ideology. Well, no, yes, it is. Just not yours. I don't like, I, I, I like Bezos. I just, it pisses me off that I order something that's the size of this, like the size of a pencil or something. And it comes right. in a huge package with plastic. Oh, totally. A, it's a pain in the ass. My trash can gets filled and my, makes my house dirty. And B, I feel like such a douche. I'm like, oh my God, I've just wasted like so much energy to get this thing to my home. I feel like such a <laughs> right. jerk. And recycling doesn't work. We just hmm. throw, every, people just throw that stuff away. Do you guys know that? Yeah. Like, yes, that it's true. A, yes, it's I've heard that. Dude, it's not a thing. Recycling is kind of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. It's a way to make you feel better. And so like it'll make you consume more stuff because like, oh, I'm recycling. I'm okay. Eh, that ain't true. It ain't happening. It's a myth. Hmm. It all gets burned. Do you guys compost? Yeah. 
You do? Because I compost and it completely changed the game. For me, like we have no trash anymore. It's either recycling or compost. It's like we have like one bag of trash a week. It's I guess if you're saying that recycling is a myth, then we have more trash than I think. I don't know how composting works, but basically the way it works with recycling is like you can't put like a like I forget what they're called, but like like there's like eight different types of plastics. But we think that we can just throw all plastics together and mm-hmm. then we can think we can throw all right. glass together. And mm-hmm. it's like there's some magic machine that's going to sort like plastic ones from the threes. And, and the guy's like, oh, no, bro, don't work that way. Also, <laughs> and that machine doesn't exist. <laughs> no. And like you're all dirty and everything. And like it, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> uh, well, maybe something else we're going to see in 2022 is maybe we'll see a rise in like more consciousness around like eco packaging and everyone's remote now getting delivered maybe people will finally become a little bit more conscious about the kind of packaging that their stuff is delivered in maybe who knows all right everyone well thanks for joining us that's going to do it for us today thanks for listening to hustle daily show we're a proud part of the hubspot podcast network and big thanks to rob and sam for joining me today for more on the hustles tech and business coverage check out our newsletter at the hustle.co we'll catch you all tomorrow